1: Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and Mr. Taylor, whose writings on the industry you can regularly read over on The Wrap, and whose musings on the Mission Impossible movies you can also listen to on the Light Diffuse podcast, he and I are recording this week's show on Friday, February 24th, 2023. Been a very busy week in the world of animation. Nancy and I drove down to Boston on Wednesday night to check on the Disney animation immersive experience that's just launched at the Lighthouse Art Space in Boston and and then drove home to New Hampshire in a whiteout, uh, fun times. And Drew, on the other hand, you got to talk with Academy Award winner Pete Docter, who while wearing his chief creative officer at Pixar hat told Mr. Taylor about why he thought Lighthouse misfired at the box office last summer, as well as offered some hints about Toy Story 5. Uh, Quick side note here, folks. I love that all sorts of entertainment news sites around the web took the info that Drew got from his interview with Pete Doctor and created stories. What kind of makes me crazy is how few of them did then credit you or link back to the rap? How are you? Do you feel about that, Drew?
0: You know, it it, it did well. The mm. article did very, very well, but, you know, it does annoy me when I hear that because it's like, yeah, but could it have done better? Could I have gotten even more? But, you know, yeah, that was it's not like everybody was talking to Pete Doctor. Like, you know, there's not a lot of places out there that did it. So just give me a link, guys. Come on. Yeah. Come on. That's, okay. all I, that's all I need. Come on. Okay,
1: so (laughs) the whining portion of the show is now open. Okay, lots of of animation news ahead, but as always, the news portion of fine-tuning is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience every time, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. So, Drew, you didn't just talk to Pete Doctor this past week. Sunday, February 19th, you were at the Arrow Theater in Santa Monica on stage with Chris Williams, the director of Netflix, The Sea Beast, which, uh, by the way, is is in the running for this year's Best Animated Feature Oscar, American Cinematique. Stage a screening of the film this past weekend did you moderate the conversation with chris before the screening or after what or how we did, did it we... after uh, okay.
0: and it was it was i mean i don't know if you've ever seen a movie there jim but it was really great it was it, the, the it just sounded great it looked great the the house was packed mm-hmm. it was really it was really fun and obviously i love the movie and chris was Chris was wonderful. You know, there was supposed to be a big pre-Annie's get-together tonight, Mm -hmm. um, and it was canceled because all of Los Angeles (laughs) is underwater. So they said, this is too dangerous. Do not show up, please. So, yeah. But anyway, yeah.
1: Off of this conversation, is that what you based the feature piece on the wrap on? Oh.
0: Yeah, yeah, we went out to for coffee beforehand okay. because we we needed we need more animation stuff, Jim. And so I said, you know what, this would be fun to talk about what the inspiration for sea Beast was, and yeah. I thought it turned out pretty well.
1: He lists the the five actually six uh, films <laughs> that inspired or you know helped create the feel the look the drive for this film. So master and commander, the far side of the world. I get, okay. Sailing Tales told at sea paper moon. I also get Jacob and Maisie's relationship, Ryan and Tatum O'Neill in, you know, and that, that Peter Bogdanovich movie. I, okay. That's fine. Raiders of the lost Ark. I also get big action scenes, things not going according to plan heroes, having to make things up as they go along. But Blade Runner, Lord of the Rings, and Road Warrior, really?
0: Yes. Yeah, well, I mean, so for the Blade Runner and Lord of the Rings, which is, I lumped those together in one mm-hmm. one inspiration. They mm-hmm. were they were the world-building movies. He said that they, they they brought you to a place where you could tell that there was a lot of history before the movie began and there'll be a lot of history afterwards. And that's what he wanted to create with the Sea Beast. And then for Road Warrior... I mean, hello, have you seen Moana? There was a George Miller action scene in the middle of that movie for absolutely no reason, and that was all because of Chris Williams. So he obviously loves George Miller, but it's also going to something that you were talking about, Jim, that kind of like you know, having to make an impromptu change in Mm -hmm. the middle of an action scene and Mm -hmm. the sense of escalation Mm -hmm. and complication that go along with action scenes. So, I see it. He loves George. I mean, he could probably write a book on George Miller. So, that's where that's coming from. I had never thought
1: of that Part of Moana as a George Miller, but now that you, ma- I,
0: I get that totally. I mean, you know, of course, yeah, it's like Fury Road on the water. It's there we like, go. Uh, <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah, with, with the ships separating and becoming, you know, one yes. problem becoming three problems. And no, now I see it. Okay, I, I, I apologize. I was wrong. By the way, folks, a great interview with Chris. Please go over to the wrap and check it out. Other news. Well, on last week's show, we were talking about how G Kids had just acquired the theatrical rights to screen that stage version of Hayao Miyazaki's uh, Spirited Away. By the way, still don't have specific release dates on that. But did you see just today where G-Kids has sort of doubled down on Hayao Miyazaki? There was that four-part documentary, 10 Years with Hayao Miyazaki, that aired, I want to say, in uh, 2019.
0: Is it coming here, Jim?
1: Well, uh, this is the thing. They've acquired Uh. the rights, all right? But it's a four-part series uh, starts with uh, episode Ponyo is Here. Then the second episode is Drawing What's Real, where the, the director uh, delves into his memories about his late mom and, and talks about how to, to, to weave a story. And the final episode of the series, actual, No Cheap Excuses, do you remember the earthquake in Japan and the, the subsequent almost meltdown? Yes, of course. Evidently, that disrupted Studio Ghibli to a huge extent. And that was kind of the inciting event for Miyazaki, who you remember, had announced his retirement to decide, you know what, I've unretired and he's coming back to work.
0: Uh, I'm dying to see this. Did you read that uh, New York Times article about the park, the Ghibli park park? I did not From last I, weekend. Okay, I'll, I'll send it to you after we're done. It's it's really wonderful. It's a little overwritten. I'm okay. going to say that, but okay. it's but they cite they quote hmm. this documentary uh, throughout oh. the um, the article. So I was like, man, you know, as, as someone who will not rest until they've seen every Studio Ghibli documentary, I was like, man, are we ever going to get this? So hmm. that is very good news, Jim. That that G Kids has the rights.
1: I agree. And 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 speaking of which, that that. My daughter Alice and I had been talking about getting over to Japan to do uh, Universal Japan to get to do the Super Nintendo World early before the stateside version opened and also check out the the Ghibli park. But then, of course, the pandemic happened and all that got thrown off. But I really want to revisit that idea and more to the point, knowing what a, what a crazy Ghibli fan you are, too. We should figure out how to do this.
0: Yes, I'm ready, Jim. Okay. I'm ready. It, it sounds like a real pain in the ass to get to that park, but we will figure it out.
1: I just feel like if we're going to do the park, we also have to do the museum.
0: Oh, 100%. 100%.
1: Okay. So, all right. We, we'll talk further about this off air. Moving on through the rest of the news, circling back to the stuff you did at The Wrap, you just did a piece about the gorillas movie that was supposed to be on Netflix that... Well, now can 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 you explain? So,
0: uh, yeah, it is not happening at Netflix even, anymore. Although they have a wonderful new album that just came out, and you can listen to it on Spotify or whatever. But mm-hmm. uh, apparently, it what I learned while doing the report on that story was mm-hmm. that it didn't really ever get into the production or animation phase. It was more of a development screenplay situation so really I mean if they finish it maybe they could take it somewhere else take you know take the screenplay somewhere else but yeah it's not it's not happening sadly I mean Jim you remember when Spielberg wanted to make a gorillas movie like after the first record
1: I guess I don't understand given that there is literally so much wonderful gorillas related animation that
0: yeah
1: how is it that guys who can do that who can deliver these these wonderful pieces they just couldn't agree on a screenplay or, or Yeah,
0: I think it was maybe just too out there for Netflix or something but you're right, Jim, they've been in all sorts, you know, they've been 2D, they've been 3D, they're yeah, very yeah. malleable characters to mm-hmm. do a fun big musical movie would have been really cool but it literally seems like a no-brainer
1: i mean you you, you know what would it look like here let me show you 20 yeah, things exactly. of of how this would exactly <laughs> right. look and and there's the 30 of music fun. videos yeah, yeah i mean i i don't understand that that's yeah that's literally here here is a giant pile of money <laughs> you know all, yeah. all, all you have to do is make that
0: yeah, you could do a new new album with it. You know, uh, the merch possibilities are obviously no, unlimited. I yeah. just,
1: oh God, I, yeah. I, sometimes this field makes me crazy. <laughs> on the other hand, uh, we also uh, we have news on what the Venture Brothers are up to next, and and so do we actually have a delivery date yet for the well, movie?
0: It was supposed to be this year, from mm. what I understand. The bugaboo mm-hmm. is that it was for HBO Max, mm-hmm. so
1: oh, okay.
0: we don't know what status it's going to be. Is it going to air on HBO Max? Is it going to be somewhere else? Mm-hmm. It was originally supposed to be a, from what I understood, a Adult Swim exclusive, mm-hmm. and then 90 days later would would air on HBO Max. But okay. that still is beautiful that they put up.
1: I'm genuinely intrigued by the whole notion of them talking up the 20th anniversary Given that the actual twentieth anniversary of the Venture Brothers aw on Adult Swim is is August of next year, am I reading the tea leaves correctly? Is is that how long this project might be delayed? Or
0: <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I. Uh we don't, there's nothing, nothing is a certainty anymore in the okay. streaming okay. space. Okay, well,
1: no, no, look, I am a huge Venture Brothers fan. In fact, I, I have my enormous copy of the Go! Venture Brothers, the art and making of the Venture Brothers, uh, the, 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 the wonderful book from Dark Horse that Ken Bloom put together. And in fact, that book was so wonderful, that's what got Ken the opportunity to do last year's equally wonderful book, The Art of DuckTales, also from Dark Horse, and also brings to mind the DuckTales World Showcase Adventure, that opened at Epcot in December of of last year. And Do you know anybody who's done it yet? No, has Lynn done it? I think Chrissy might have done one or two of them, but I think it was one of these things where we were like, oh, we have to talk about that at some point. Mm -hmm. And we never quite circled back to that topic, but I was just wondering if, if anyone from Fine Tuning Listener who liked the DuckTales reboot on Disney Channel, what they thought of it. If anybody has anything to report in, uh, me personally, I still miss Dr. Schwertz. It was always fun to see him pop up around World Showcase, though so maybe we'll get to see him again with the Phineas and Ferb reboot for Disney+. And Speaking of this, did you do you see the picture that Dan Povenmeier put up on Twitter, uh, I want to say earlier today, of, of he and, and Swampy back in the recording studio?
0: No, it's great. I, I thought it was weird that they didn't really mention Swampy in the... Press release. Yeah, for the new ones.
1: Evidently, nature is healing. What the caption for the photo was it was the two of them are in a recording booth, and, and Swampy has a electric guitar. But it's getting the band back together. So I'm, I'm kind of hoping for both meanings of that explanation. Anyway, folks, we'll have more about Drew's conversation with Pete Doctor, and and then I'll talk about the again the Boston edition of Disney Animation, the immersive experience. Kroger
0: Fresh for Everyone. Fuel restrictions
1: apply. Drew, let's let's talk about your conversation with Pete Doctor, which again you mentioned. We're coming up on Annie's weekend, their fiftieth anniversary of this animation-related award, and given that Pete is supposed to receive the Windsor McKay Award this year, was that how you got the opportunity? Or yeah,
0: I, I just emailed Pixar and I said, "Listen, I know Pete's getting this award. Let's talk about his career and mm-hmm. let's talk about mm-hmm. you know where Pixar is headed." Because I'm just so I'm so fascinated by his his version to Pixar. Mm-hmm. You and I have talked about this a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, the mm-hmm. Pixar 2.0. Very exciting. Yeah.
1: I want to encourage folks that you can read the little Reader's Digest version that everybody who read Drew's story and then grabbed out the quote about, well, whether it's Toy Story 5 or what went wrong with Lightyear. But the entire piece is really fascinating. And I'm kind of amazed that you got him to be this open and it's such a far-reaching interview.
0: Yeah. He said he appreciated that I seemed to know what I was talking about, Jim. So my trickery has worked. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, we talk about a lot of stuff. Uh, mm. You know, Jim and I were just talking about how he's got a book coming out next mm-hmm. year about the directors that worked yeah. under Walt yeah. uh, feature animation, which mm-hmm. is really an interesting story.
1: And what's so lovely about having a Pete doctor in the mix at Disney these days. Like, for example, that that amazing two-volume Mark Davis book that he and Chris Merritt did together. You know, there were a number of books that Mark Davis himself created. Uh, there were Tears of the Crocodile, which was all of Mark's drawings from his travel around the globe. And then there was a literally a book of uh, for lack of a better term, was, was anatomy drawings it, with the idea that if you worked in animation, this would be your reference to, okay, how does the human body move, That stuff you can consider. And Mark could never get the, anybody at Disney to take these books on, you know, which is the effect of, uh, yes, they're very nice, Mr. Davis, but we don't see a market for it. And so the fact Pete Doctor could turn around and go hey I you know Mark Davis you know no one's ever done a, a definitive work about Mark at Imagineering and it's like yes Mr. Doctor absolutely two volume set certainly that'll fly off the shelves <laughs> well, yeah there we go but that's the other thing the fact that Pete is about to shine a spotlight on all of the directors of Disney features Right up to Wooly to Wright, them and right, I would mean, that, yeah, from David yeah. Hand from, from Snow White on forward, and for so many years, these guys didn't get any attention. So, the notion that at Pete's request, they're doing this deep dive on it, I mean, man, I would pre order that book today. And yeah, and if the way the, the Mark Davis book was written is any indication, this is going to be an amazing book. But uh, what else did you and, and Pete get to talk about?
0: Well, yeah, we talked about Toy Story Five. We talked about his outlook on the company and sort of the great thing about Pete is he's such a historian and such a he knows so much about Disney and mm-hmm. so he's very he's very aware of what happened, Jim, mm-hmm. when the wo- Woolly Reithermans of the world, you know, stayed at Animation for too long. Mm-hmm. And I thought what was interesting was that he was like, you know, what we were kind of forced to evolve because. Andrews doing live action. Lee left, you know. Bird is at another company, mm-hmm. and that it's it kind of forced them to kind of shake things up in a really nice way, which I thought was a really interesting way of of putting it. And you know, obviously, I, I was very fascinated by the Lightyear comment because I'm a, such a big fan of the movie and of Angus and mm-hmm. him kind of forensically diagnosing what what went wrong was was interesting to me. I don't know if I buy it necessarily, but it was interesting.
1: I wanted to talk w- with you about this because have you noticed? I mean, for example, when you were talking about wondrous journeys at Disneyland Park, and you were talking about when you were there for the the, the big opening and the noise the crowd made during the Treasure Planet sequence, kind to the right. effect of they're seeing a film that they loved. We'll be talking in a, f- a few minutes about the Disney Animation immersive experience. But this show also has a few pieces of size related to that Ron and John film. Remember, in November of 2002, the Disney company could not bury that film fast enough. You know, they were were so embarrassed at how it did at the box office and that sort of thing. But here we are 20-plus years later, and it's weird. It seems like it's coming into its own. It's getting some love. So I, I wonder... Is that eventually going to happen with Lightyear? Because face it, it is a good, solid science fiction film. Though, to Pete's credit, maybe we confused the audience. They heard, oh, Buzz Lightyear. So, so where's Ham? Where's Mr. Potato? Head? Yeah. And yeah,
0: he said they asked too much of the audience, which I thought was an interesting way of phrasing it. Because, yeah. Yeah. You know, I've said this a thousand times before, but you know, like mm-hmm. the way that they beat us over the head with what the concept of Good Dinosaur was. Mm-hmm. The, the, Asteroid missing the planet and all Mm -hmm. that. It's like, certainly, there must have been a better way to introduce this concept to people in a way that wouldn't have given that, wouldn't have elicited that reaction of, like, whoa, whoa, what is this? You know, but I don't know. I love the movie.
1: You know, there's a part of me that really admires the economy and the confidence of the opening. I mean, think about it. It's literally. And he got the, a Buzz Lightyear toy at his birthday. You know he was excited because he had seen the movie. The toy was based on. This is that movie. Bang! And you start.
0: Yeah. Written by Andrew Stanton. Those cards. So
1: it was and still is a good film. I would, you know, anybody who doubts doubts me, go to Disney Plus and look at it today. It's it's a wonderful film. And in fact, I I even love the tease at the end where maybe Zurg isn't dead. And by the way, now I spoiled the film. <laughs> Anything else from, from uh, And again? Oh, a, God.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I encourage people to read it because mm-hmm. he really talks about, you know, his his experiences making movies mm-hmm. and overseeing movies and, mm-hmm. you know, what what's in store for Inside Out 2. And uh, he talks about Afton Corbin, who mm-hmm. is an animator who I love and mm-hmm. who made that great short 20-something that you can watch on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. And I was like, is she making a movie? And he was like maybe Duh. you know it was like just short of an, an announcement jim yeah. was what we got there but um uh-huh. yeah i mean look at the movies that he have arrived under pete's watch from from luca to, tra- to turning red to, to light ear i mean they're just just wonderful films
1: they are they are and i guess the the sense of frustration from that one moment you asked him about well you know are, are you going to direct again? And yes. It, yeah. and, it, and it just the sense of I might have to or <laughs> I will explode. You know, yes. but he's got a lot of irons in the fire making sure that other filmmakers at, at Pixar 2.0, again, just this. What, I, I just, I love the sense of this nice, steady hand who trusts writers and filmmakers. And it's like, you'll find your way.
0: Yeah. And if Soul is his last movie, Jim, I mean, what could what more could you want than a movie about the nature of human existence um, and where we go and where we start? I mean, that's that's a pretty big mission statement. <laughs> for okay. A movie. Okay. Yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> if you frame it like that, yeah, <laughs> finding a, a film <laughs> to follow that movie—it's right. a story that
0: Monsters Inc. Three. There we go. Back at the laugh floor. Yeah. 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 No.
1: no. No. Okay. No. So. <laughs> Well, again, Drew got to do that. And again, did a great job. Go check out the rap story. On the other hand, Nancy and I got to to check out this project that Disney, they announced this back on September 6th of last year. They were going to partner with Lighthouse Immersive Studios to create Disney Animation, the immersive experience. And I don't know if you, you've seen the the Frida Kahlo a, a exhibit that these folks put together or the Clement traveling Didn't show. did they but, do
0: the Van Gogh? That's well, the big one. Jim, well, right? but
1: see, now, what's interesting is I actually talked with Dorothy McKim, a 43-year veteran of Disney Animation Studios. She's now working at animation studios with their creative legacy department. And this is, this is a special project that that fell under, you know, that department, the folks at lighthouse who in turn, uh, have used the expertise from the, their version of the Van Gogh show to do projects like this one, which by the way, came together in the middle of the pandemic. I mean, this whole show was mounted over zoom, world premiere of this exhibit uh was in Toronto back on December 22nd and then began the multi-city rollout and I'm going to talk about where it is because a lot of folks have the opportunity to go check this show out. So, Ohio version uh opened on January 19th at the Lighthouse Art Space in Cleveland. Tennessee edition opened on February 9th at the Lighthouse Space in in that city. Very same day, the Michigan edition opened at the Lighthouse Art Space in Detroit. Denver was just last week at that city's uh Lighthouse Space on February 16th and as I mentioned the Boston edition opened at The Hub's Lighthouse Art Space on February 23rd. And what do you know of, of, about the show, Drew? What, what have you seen?
0: Well, I was on that call or whatever, that presentation in mm-hmm. September. Okay. And so I wanted to ask you some questions, if I could. Feel free. So what what is the vibe like when you walk in? What are you looking at? When you
1: arrive... You know the 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 standard check-in. You pick up a wristband that's going to be crucial once you get into the space, and I'll explain why in a moment. And then there's some pre-show activities. You know, there's one workstation where you can learn how to draw Mickey Mouse, and there's another one where they explain the concept of storyboarding, and then there's a demonstration of um, how the multi-plane camera works, and then you step through a portal and you enter into this giant rectangular space—it's it's, picture a corporate ballroom kind of a setup with the, the tables and chairs removed. There's a, a handful of benches scattered around the room, that sort of thing. As the show opens, you, you're in what seems to be a faux warehouse. There's a projections on the wall of you know various shelves of, and you can see maquettes, you can see concept paintings, you can see animation drawings that periodically come to life. I want to say be our guest plays repeatedly, <laughs> but finally the, the show gets underway with the "A dream is a wish your heart makes from Cinderella. And from that moment forward, Drew for, for the next 47 minutes, you're surrounded by these giant images projected on all four walls from, uh, from various Disney films and the wristband you're wearing they're projecting things on the floor of of the room as well. But what's kind That's of interesting, right. w- yeah, what's especially interesting about this is, for example, during the Pocahontas scene of, you know, when they do uh, colors of the wind, the floor of the room is covered with leaves. And as you walk through the room, the leaves part in front of you. They react to you moving through the space. Mm-hmm. Or, for example, during the Encanto Scene uh, when they 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 do all of we don't Talk about Bruno. The floor becomes the warm tiles of the casita. I mean, it, it's just the floor treatment changes from scene to scene. but it's this interesting mix of full numbers from films. You know, for example, I'm almost there from Princess and the Frog. But what they've done is that they've gone in and taken those wonderful magazine-type illustrations that Eric Goldberg did. It's not just the question of taking the footage from the film. It's it's all repurposed for the room to play on this specific space. So it's reformatted. It's, it's carefully cropped. It, 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 and you're just, these images tower over you. It, it, I mean, it's really, really beautifully done. And... They will go from whole numbers like I See the Light from Tangled to then a scene that's strictly about flying in Disney films, which starts with Aladdin inviting Princess Jasmine you know, to join him on the flying carpet with the whole Do You Trust Me exchange? And then it's Peter Pan flying over London. It's Baymax and Hero flying over San Francisco. And it really was very, very cleverly done.
0: Did it feel like you were just watching kind of like, like did the scenes kind of fit the environment? It just seems like it could just be like, oh, they're just projecting scenes that I've seen a thousand times onto a blank
1: wall. Well, no. I mean, for example, one of my favorite moments out of this, and this tells you again, this is one, one of the reasons why you wanted Dorothy McKim to be in charge of a project like this is that one whole scene from the, this immersive experience, was the Firebird scene from Fantasia two thousand?
0: That Firebird is in is in Wondrous Journeys too. I was like, wow, this. is Well, this is a what I'm talking cut. about.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, you know, just lately, it just it kind of feels like so many of the films of the late nineteen nineties into the early two thousands are starting to get a little love, and I I, I really enjoy that. On the other hand, did I really need to see show yourself from Frozen 2? I, I, you know, I I will tell you a lot of little girls in the room last night were thrilled to see that scene. They did the moment from Zootopia where Judy got on the train and then traveled into the city and that tells you the people who put this thing together understood what they were doing. They used this opportunity to pull footage from other Disney films that featured travel sequences. To just it's not seeing the same scene over and over again that you've seen dozens of times. It's all it's clever connections. It's it's interesting repurposing of things.
0: Is there anything about the kind of like process of animation or?
1: Well, again, that's mostly pre-show. Okay. Even when they would pick a dramatic scene, they did the whole scene from Moana, where she hands back. The eye of taffiti effect. I'm not the one. You need to find somebody else.
0: Are you sure you weren't watching uh, World of Color one or?
1: Yeah. Well, no. Th- this is what I thought was fascinating was that that was also used. You know, and, and didn't that also show up in Wondrous Journeys as well?
0: Yeah, but it's not. Yeah, it's they just they play the moment for so much longer mm. in, in World of Color, and it's just like. It's a bummer. Mm-hmm. I mean that whole show is kind of a bummer, but that moment is a real downing down moment, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know. Well,
1: that was so, the thing. They they played out the entire scene down to, you know, her swimming down in the ocean reclaiming the, the the eye. And when you're standing in front of a screen that's that big and the the ghosts of the past, the, the great sailors of the past come by, it, it was a goosebump moment. They did a nice, nice job.
0: Oh, that sounds great.
1: Now, this can get a wee bit pricey. I mean, I, I want to say the normal tickets for these things uh, start at $39 and go all the way up to $99. Now, mind you, you get to skip the line. They give you, by the way, the, the, have you heard what they're calling the, the credentials now? It's the souvenir laminate, the oh, thing boy. that dangles around your neck, you know, the, the thing they hand us at. Every press event we ever go to. So, souvenir laminate, who knew? But you also get a a souvenir print and a a cushion. You know, because again, you have to sit on benches. You know, if you're not sitting on a bench, you have to sit on the floor to watch this thing. Not a terribly long presentation. Uh, The the film element is uh, 47 minutes. In Boston, they're basically selling this show in hour long increments. So, for example, on Saturday, February twenty fifth. The very first show of the day runs from ten a.m. or me nine a.m. to ten a.m., and they will not allow you to stay in the show to watch it again. They cleared the space, and then the very next set of guests goes in from ten fifteen to eleven fifteen. And Drew, they they run eleven presentations at least on Saturday of this thing with the very last show running from 9.30 to 10.30 at night at, at again, the Lighthouse Art Space in, in Boston on Columbus Avenue. And I have to say this much. If you are an animation fan and, and are not really fond of kids, uh, maybe catch one of the later shows so you, you can appreciate the huge images projected on the wall, likewise the what they're doing with the floor space. Again, multi-city rollout continues. Uh, San Antonio will be getting its version of the Disney uh, animation versus space opening later this month and on February 28th, Minneapolis gets its version on March 23rd and Columbus gets its on April 6th. Now, The length of run of this show varies depending on the city it's in. Uh, For example, Cleveland edition is shutting down on April 10th. Nashville and Detroit close on May 14th. Denver uh, closes on May 29th. Boston shuts down on July 4th. Whereas the world premiere production up in Toronto, uh, that's currently slated to stay open till July 7th. But fascinating production. And in fact, I'm hoping sometime in the coming weeks, Dorothy McKim will join Drew and I here on uh, fine-tuning, and we'll we'll get her to talk about not only this special project she worked on uh, with the Creative Legacy Department at Feature Animation, but, you know, that might also get her to talk about some of the other stuff she worked on, like, uh, what is it, the Prep and Landing holiday specials and the wonderful Mickey short, Get a Horse.
0: Can we get some gigantic stuff out of her? She was the producer on that. Let's
1: see if we can maybe introduce that and see what happens. So,
0: all right, now you got to go to Philadelphia for the hundred. I do,
1: whatever. I do, and I just I, again, I'm. I, I do, I'll avert my eyes at the wall hologram. Okay, speaking of things you should not avert your eyes from or avert your ears from if you're not listening to drew taylor's light diffused podcast folks you are missing out on some truly amazing stories mr taylor along with his equally talented co-host charles hood uh takes you behind the scenes well not just in the mission impossible movies but also on uh the ever-growing world of john wick and uh, by the way again that trailer what did we think
0: i thought it was awesome didn't you
1: yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, again, my, my daughter Alice introduced me to the world of John Wick, and it was just sort of like, we have a standing date for the f- the fourth one.
0: Yes, yes, it looks... Like a lot of, and obviously you know, big big dog guy. So good to see the dog in action. You
1: know? <laughs> this is true. I, I, yes. I like that he has a dog again. Yes. So the other thing that uh, Light Diffuse touches on with its Light Diffuse long shows is uh, Top Gun, and of course uh, the long-awaited and and really did kind of nicely at the box office sequel uh, Top a, Gun yeah. Maverick. Um, well, what are, what are you doing on the show? Uh in Oh week? God,
0: we, we've got some fun ones coming up. I don't know how what the order of airing is going to be, but mm-hmm. we've got some, some fun guests lined up and then, you know, it's going to be all, all systems go for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning coming out in July. So we'll, yeah. we'll be at CinemaCon, you know, and then it'll be here before you know it, Jim. It'll Oof. be here before you know it
1: reminds me I got to go get my credentials. Okay, anyway, Light Diffuse is wonderful to listen to, but but Mr. Taylor is also a delight on on social media. Can can you tell the nice folks where they can find you there?
0: Uh yes, you can do a, a quick follow at Drew Taylor like a tailored shirt hmm. on Instagram and Twitter. We're cool, going to be cool. there until it burns down around <laughs> us, Jim. You and me, holding hands. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, that, that yeah, how can it burn down when Los Angeles is water at this that's point? That's true, okay? that's true. Just like Mr. Taylor, yes, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram is Jim Hill Media and over on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. In addition to, like, The Fuse, I'd like to point out that there are a couple of podcasts here at Jim Hill Media that you might want to listen to. We got uh, Disney Dish that I do with Len Testa. Uh, likewise, we have uh, Marvelous Disney that I do with uh, Aaron Adams. Uh, likewise, we have Looking at Lucas with Brian Gunn. If I could ask a favor, if you, if you nice folks could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review, well, not the, just the show you're listening to right now, fine-tuning, but likewise, Light the Fuse, uh, that would be great as well. If you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, uh, that would be great as well. And I think that's going to do it for this week. So, uh Drew's a busy are, – are you actually going to go to the Annie's this weekend or – you know, No, are I'm
0: not going to go to the Annie's. I have a – I'm hosting a Q&A uh, mm. at the WGA for Cocaine Bear oh, no. on Sunday night. So I'm doing <laughs> that. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, yeah. So, Jim, you know, I'm all over the place. I'm right. literally –
1: well. In, you I can't just, hit a moving target. So true. It's true. Okay. It's true. So,
0: Listen, there mm. are loan sharks after me, and as long as I'm moving, you know, it helps. But, yeah, I'm not going. I I want to go one year. I, mm. I would love if you went because I would like someone to mm. snicker with under our breath um, about things. So okay. maybe well, next year. Can May we try May to
1: do it? 51st. Okay. All right. Well, it's a date. All right. Anyway, folks, that's going to do it for this week. Uh, for this week's fine tuning. Thanks for listening, and we will be back soon.